0: A game engine is a system used to build and run games. Game engines let the programmer work at a high level of abstraction by providing interfaces for graphics, physics, and scripting. Godot is an open source and free-to-use game engine, which makes it unusual. Its first release was in 2014, and its features and user base have grown steadily since then. Emilio Coppola is the executive director at the Godot Foundation, and he joins the show to talk about the design of Godot, its scripting language, open-source and game development, and more. Joe Nash is a developer, educator, and award-winning community builder who has worked at companies including GitHub, Twilio, Unity, and PayPal. Joe got his start in software development by creating mods and running servers for Garry's Mod, and game development remains his favorite way to experience and explore new technologies and concepts.
1: Hello and welcome to Software Engineering Daily. My name is Joe Nash and I'm your host for today. And I'm joined today by Emilio Coppola, the Executive Director at the Godot Foundation. Emilio, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me here.
1: We're very excited to talk about Godot. You know, funnily enough, I mentioned this before the show, my path to this podcast came through Godot. So I've been looking forward to this conversation. Before we get into, you know, your background and how you came to be where you are, I think we kind of have to set some context for listeners who aren't familiar. Can you tell me briefly what is Godot? Godot?
0: So Godot is an open source game engine to make video games or apps. And it's everything that you need for it, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. the editor, but also the engine that it runs and everything in it. There has a programming language. It has the entire package for you to build a game or an application.
1: Perfect. So getting into, you know, you and your background, as I said, you're currently the executive director of the Godot foundation. How did you get here? What was your journey with Godot?
0: So I started actually making videos on YouTube, tutorials and stuff like that. I really wanted to cover, like when I started, it wasn't so popular, so there wasn't a lot of resources and I wanted to teach people how to use it because I came from using other proprietary software and I found like, yeah, that they had so much better like learning material and all that. And I prefer to watch videos. So I said, okay, it's my time to do the community a service and started with that. But after making videos and all that, I also got more involved into the production of the engine itself. So I started joining the different communities where the developers hang out. And yeah, one thing led to (laughs) another and I ended up like working a lot.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. So, you know, some of the things you mentioned there you know, you mentioned working on other proprietary engines and you mentioned being able to get involved with the community. So of course, one of the things about Godot is it is open source. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that works for the engine?
0: Yeah. yeah. So generally speaking, I was surprised actually to find out like how close source the game engine world is in general, like the gaming industry is not so used to dealing with open source projects. So I think this is like, it's not the only one, but it's a very popular option. But yeah, the cool thing about open source and game engines is that you actually own all the code that Mm is in your game. So you don't have to be licensing the engine to other companies to send it, to ship it, to modify it, to do anything you want. And that that's an extra layer of flexibility that not a lot of other engines give you, before being in games, I was in web development and this is like the standards in everything web related, like you don't even notice, but everything is open source. So yeah, this is aimed to be, you know, like, I guess the first mainstream open source project in the game developer world for most people that are studying making games and and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great point, especially, you know, the comparison to web dev. I think, this is jumping forward to some topics we'll cover in a bit, but, you know, with the recent discourse, I think one of the messages that I saw quite frequently said was like, oh, this is, you know, gaming's moment to catch up with web development and like, you know, how open source has kind of redefined other tech-related industries. And so I think that's a fantastic point. Yeah. So you mentioned other engines. If you were speaking to someone who is new to game development and, you know, is still looking at building out their first game and has all this landscape in front of them, all these different options, what would you say, aside from being open source, of course, sets Godot apart from those engines?
0: Well, it's very easy to use. And I think that's, you know, like the biggest thing, at least for me and for many other people I know, that... Even if open source usually has this reputation of not being very approachable, right? It's like mostly built like from software developers to other software developers. But Godot Engine is is very easy to use. Like the editor itself has everything you need, and as I said before, like it contains the whole package. You don't need to go to add any extra libraries or things like that because there are like open source frameworks that you can use right. to make games, but you need to use other programs to make the levels or things like that. So I think that Godot is very approachable. It's very easy to pick up and start playing around with it. And it also has its own programming language, which it's only used in Godot. It's very similar to Python. And I actually recently noticed that nobody complains about it being hard. Yeah, People have, of course, complaints, but nobody complains about it being hard. Like You can actually start working on it. If you already do any sort of programming in other language, you almost don't notice in a week, you're already up to speed. Um, I think it's, yeah, like that's the biggest advantage of Godot, like how quickly you can get things done and it's very easy to learn.
1: Yeah. I mean, as someone who's come to Godot this year, like I would totally, totally agree with that, especially the GDScript thing is interesting. And I think it's worth spending some time on it now. And I know this has been a constant topic for everyone in the project the last (laughs) couple of months, but you know, why does Godot have its own language?
0: Well, at the beginning, it wasn't the case. Like, I believe the first thing that was implemented was Lua for scripting and things like that. But after some time, like, what happens with general purpose languages is that they are meant to be that general purpose to do many other things. And the advantages of having something like GDScript is that the language is completely built into all the functionalities you need to build games. Like, if you compare it with Python, which is the one that has the similar, like, uh, syntax and, you know, the, like, ethos, you see that... It's actually faster to write GDScript because you don't have to do a lot of the stuff that Python requires from you. I remember making games in Pygame before, and you know you have these classes that you start to need to specify self in front of every variable that you're referencing, sure. and a lot of things like that that you don't really need to do in GDScript. And the integration with the editor and everything also makes it very easy to also extend the editor. So I think it's very nice to control that and to make it really focus on making games like not on anything else it's not for making web servers it's not for making i mean if you could do those things right? <laughs> yeah. it's for making games
1: yeah absolutely i'm i'm sure someone out there has deployed uh goodo in headless mode to act as a web server that's definitely exists <laughs>
0: <laughs> for sure yeah
1: so you mentioned a couple things there that i want to jump on because i think they're really interesting so the integration with the editor again I know there has been discourse here so one of the things one of the i guess the misconceptions i've seen swirling about this year is like because there is such tight integration with the editor because the editor has everything built in it's that you know you need to fundamentally use godot in mouse and keyboard mode like you can't just go you know you can't start from code you can't start developing your game in a text-only mindset my understanding and i haven't tried this myself yet is that that's not the case is that accurate
0: Yeah, yeah, you can use it as a framework if you want to. And it has been used, you can use different parts of the project. Since it's open source, you can just take away stuff from it. Yeah, you can do everything with code if you want to. And, you know, the editor is optional Mm. if you want to really go into like all the structure of what Godot does is just simplify that process for you. It's kind of like a supercharged IDE for you but it's not required that you use it. Some people use external editors to manipulate with files. You can even extend it with other programming languages, you know like C++ you sure. can you can do a lot of things with it. So it's really really flexible.
1: So you've mentioned extension a couple of times as well, so you know from within GDScript directly in the editor and you've also now mentioned C++. On the topic of C++, you know we've spoken about GDScript, but there is other supported languages, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, at the moment built in you can have like a GD extension, Mm -hmm. which is like the C++ kind of like bridge. So you can build some part of your logic with C++ and use it. But you can also use GD extension to do bindings to other languages. And there are community built ones. And there's also another built-in language other than GDScript, which is C Sharp, which is, you know, at the moment very popular in game development world because it's the language most used for for making games like in engines like Unity. There were yeah. a lot of also XNA developers around that also wanted to use C Sharp. So those are like the, the main one, but there's a very popular community like binding for Rust, for instance, and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of options out there that cool. you can use.
1: So. Speaking of its extensions, so there's GD extensions and then, you know, there's other abilities like the ability to declare a script as a tool script, for example, which was one of the things that like blew my mind the most when I started getting into Kadoo. Can you briefly explain the extension functionality and what the different options are?
0: Yeah, so the editor itself is built in with some things that we call nodes and nodes are elements that you can reuse in different parts of your games. And those nodes, the control nodes, which are creating the UI are the same ones that we use for also like making the editor. So the same way you're building the UI in your game, you can build tools for the editor itself that you can use to extend it. So you can create functionalities for other members of your team that might need to modify something. And you, know, you want to make it easier, for instance, to import some things in the editor or things like that. You can write all that logic and extend the editor with it. So the cool thing about having those two together is that you don't really need to learn how to extend the editor. If you're already making games with Godot, you already know how to modify the editor itself. And yeah, my goal in the future would be to make it as good as possible for you to even contribute to the engine with GDScript only because it's very easy to use. But yeah, maybe it's a bit going on a tangent there. But yeah, like you can extend any part of the editor with simple code and... If you don't want a button somewhere, you want to move it somewhere else, you can do it. You can modify all of it. And it's not that you need to recompile the entire thing. It's very, very easy to plug and play any of those plugins.
1: Okay, fantastic. So you said a key thing there, which again is one of the most fascinating things about Godot, which is it, in itself is built in Godot. So I'm really interested in so much about this like how this decision came about how this happened you know lots of people have heard of dog fooding, like trying your product to build your product and you know but this is a game engine and that's a desktop application like how does that work
0: (laughs) yeah well it's actually you know like when you're building the tools for making these sort of things like i don't think it makes sense to do like a different set of tools for the editor and for the games so the biggest inspiration for the project for the ui side was qt so the idea was to do something similar to qt to build the tools for making the games but after you have perfected those tools and those you know ui elements why not reuse them in the rest of your projects right so that was a little bit more like an organic growth right like from getting those sort of tools available to make the games to also providing a way for users to use those tools and if you want to have a drop-down, you don't have to code one from scratch, right? Like I learned how to make video games in GameMaker and I don't know how it is at the moment, but at the moment didn't have any sort of UI tool. But the entire Game Maker editor is like a UI application. So sure. what Godot does is it exposes those libraries for you to use and it makes it really easy to get quite good quality UI already there without you having to implement everything from scratch or having to depend on a third-party library. And same as everything else, everything is under the MIT license. So it's very permissive and you can do whatever you want with it. With options like Qt, which is very popular for making desktop applications, the license is a little bit more restrictive and you might need to license it if you want to do a commercial project. Otherwise you need to release on a open source license. So yeah, I think like... It was more like an organic thing. I don't think it was as planned as
1: other stuff, but yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I guess one question, you know, I had about this from the start, and this is coming from, you know, I've worked on Electron apps, and so I've been deep in the desktop performance Discourse is like what this means performance wise. Because, you know, is it rendering the desktop applications in the same way as like a game? Like, is it, you know, pushing out a frame? Is it concerned with like frames per second throughput and this kind of thing? Or is it, is there a desktop optimized mode? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, there is a desktop You, know, you can refresh it in different ways. Cool. By default, everything is built for making games. So it's only going to be like that. If you're building an application, you might want to look into not refreshing the screen on every frame because you might not need to do that. But the primary goal of the Godot engine is to make games. So, like, all the defaults are going to be for games. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Absolutely. So, you know, going back to making games and talking about, you know, actually using Godot as a a game developer. And you've mentioned this already. One of the things you're going to encounter as you start using Godot for the first time is, you know, these concepts of nodes and signals, which I guess are, for lack of a better word, like Godot's primitives. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what those are and how they affect your development flow as a game developer in Godot?
0: So corrods are like like the building blocks of the engine. So you can do a lot of things with the nodes. And they are all inheriting from different nodes. So you have like the family of the 2D nodes for everything 2D, the 3D nodes for everything that's 3D, and the control nodes for everything that's UI. And you can start using them, also extending them, and reusing them in other projects or in the same project as well. Many times when you're starting building something, you get, for instance, if you want a character, there's already a character node that you can throw in there and modify very quickly. You get already like the physics interactions with other elements and, you know, things like that with the 3D as well, you know, you have like the different sort of things you might need, even like a car controller, (laughs) like a lot of high level stuff as well. The cool thing about those is that you can create your own nodes. And once you get used to that, then you can reuse them. You can have these units that are very, very easy to customize from the editor as well. And you don't really have to think a lot about the structure of how you're going to make your game, right? Like some engines have a very clear idea how they want you to build these things. But in Godot, you can figure out a way that works better for you and your team, right? Like you can right. have something part of a team working on some set of nodes and sharing them or doing you know tools on top of them so you can use them in whatever way you want. One thing that's really common is that at the beginning, when you don't really know the built-in nodes, you might implement something and then you realize there's already a node that does that for you <laughs> i've done that <laughs> uh, so it's <laughs> i mean it happens to everybody so it's quite nice to at least try them out and read a little bit about them because you have a lot of things already built in and yeah. that's also what's helping making games we got out faster right you don't need to reinvent the wheel many times but you can do so if you wish to
1: yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a really interesting thing there of, you know, some engines more opinionated in how you structure things and you can kind of do it your own way. Just to make sure I understand what you mean there, I guess an example of that might be, for example, like entity component system, which is like, you know, a, yeah. a way of structuring stuff that many engines use. And you can do that in Godot, you can totally use nodes to do that, but it's not opinionated about that by default. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's at least, you know, like what I feel. I have a particular way of building games, but the thing about this sort of like general purpose engines is that a lot of people have their own workflows and as we said before right you can even make a game that only has one node and that node does everything you could do that but it's quite flexible enough so you can do entities if you want there's also like a branch like a fork of Godot to do ECS if you want to actually but I really like the nodes I wasn't too familiar with it I wasn't really usually don't go too much into object-oriented stuff and I think this is object-oriented done the right way or at least like it doesn't feel really bad to use so that it's interesting to try. I think that at the beginning it's a bit confusing because it's not something you're used to seeing but everybody I hear about like they like the system once you get used to it and it doesn't take too long so it's giving it a try.
1: Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. There's definitely a, as you start to realise how and why you should compose nodes into scenes and like, you know, you can throw scenes into scenes and like, what Flix does, it gives you the structure stuff, it becomes contagious very quickly. So, one of the things you mentioned earlier was, you know, you didn't start with, Gscript didn't exist at the beginning, it was like a change that came along the way. And I think another area that's similar to that that's really interesting is the evolution of the physics engine. So... My understanding of the history here is, you know, originally using an engine called Bullet, which is a third-party engine, and then as part of Godot's, you know, philosophy of everything being the editor and being inclusive for Godot 4.0, due to reasons, you made your own engine, and now we're kind of coming back to like the dawn of a third-party engine might be coming back in, which is Joel. Can you run us through, I guess, like the ethos here, like why you know go for your own engine, why eschew third-party stuff, and then you know the change in ideals, why we're we going back to third-party? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So of course, one thing we want to do is, you know, if there's already something popular that works for everybody, like use that. It's better than just having to make something from scratch. And what we used before, it worked for the Godot three version of it and it was, you know, like generally okay, but there were some things that we would like to improve on it and there wasn't any flexibility for our use cases. So... The thing about this being a community-driven project and an open-source project, that sometimes you get people that come in and help, and then you know, you don't know what might happen to them. They might disappear after a yeah. while. Or so with the physics engines when we were building Godot Four, that's something like there was a very active contributor that helped a lot into shaping that to be you know like what the Godot Four physics are. Uh, he's no longer contributing to the project. He got like a different job and, you know, like this happens very often. And the problem with the physics in particular is that it's something that is not so common to find a physics engine programmer that can do something really well in this area, right? Because it's not only that you need to do the physics that are like fun or like realistic enough, but it also needs to happen so quickly, right? Like you can do physics in a very like, poorly performant way and you should be fine in a lot of cases but if you want to make it for a video game they need to run like super quick and finding some compromises there into making it good for a game engine is really difficult and if you know how to do that you're probably already working on a AAA (laughs) company on a proprietary engine and something like that and you know it's a very relatively small, like, budget that we have for these sort of things. And we cannot offer super competitive salaries. So we depend a lot on those contributions. And at the moment, there isn't a lot of active members of the community who know or who are interested in contributing there. So after a while of trying to patch and to fix what got out for physics engine was, there was this new physics engine that got, like, released on MIT, which is Jolt's physics. And since the license is the same as we've got out, like a community member did an integration and that's, you know, after trying it out and people using it and giving it good reviews and all that, it was a validation, like maybe this is the way to go, right? We get this physics engine who was used in a triple A game that is already battle tested and it's very performant. If we can use that instead, it will be better than what we can do ourselves. And the cool thing about it is that we only need to code the glue thing between Godot and this physics engine. We don't need to implement the physics uh, ourselves, which is the difficult part. So we have a lot of people that are like proficient enough to make the glue, but we don't have enough people that are proficient enough to make the, the physics. I also found out doing this. I'm not very good at physics, but I found out that some of those... Algorithms are also like, uh, licensed, like, are patented, like patented or something. Yeah, like that. Patented, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you need to kind of re-implement some things that are doing the same but are not yeah. the same implementation as some other people did, and it gets a little bit trickier. So this is the story of why we ended up now. Now we are considering in the future, I don't know if it's going to be 4.3 or 4.4, but we're going to be shipping Jolt probably as the default Amazing. physics engine, and you'll still have... They got out physics there just in case for legacy reasons or if you want to do it. But yeah, generally speaking, it's much better than ours. I think it still has a couple of features that need to be implemented in Jolt for it to be all the features that we we provide, but it shouldn't be much longer to get there.
1: Yeah, that physics algorithm patent issue, I feel like has been really prominent recently because some studio-like patented a really obvious and long-running like way of making characters move with platforms or something. It's been a lot of
0: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, all these sort of things are very tricky once you get into these licenses. And since yeah. they've been operating in proprietary engines for a very long time, there's a lot of things you cannot do. But yeah. I think we're getting there. Like people are starting to get out of the hole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. So you know, you mentioned future versions of Godot, four point three, four point 4. four. At the time of recording, four point two is just around the corner. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what's new in four point two and what you're most excited about?
0: This is way too many things, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's actually one of the problems. There's yeah. too much stuff to add there. Mm-hmm. I think like for four point two in general, like it was a continuation of what four point one was, right? Like just getting like a better experience for developing sure there's of features you can read on our blog post we highlight and we show a lot of the individual features some might interest you more than others but what i like is that it's getting easier also to know sometimes like what things are going wrong how can you make them better like mm-hmm. before at the beginning it was a bit you know things failed for no reason that's so. at least my experience i'm mostly making tools and it greatly improved like the workflow as well like there's a lot of things we had to do a lot of code just to get access to some of the editor functionality that we can now get easier nice. but again, there's the list is too long like honestly <laughs> okay. like if you want to check the blog post, you have all the information with nice graphical like animations and all that that it makes it better because if you say you know, let's say like the FSR update that you can get more frames with the same quality, like unless you see it right. even working, you don't really, yeah. Yeah,
1: that makes total sense. We'll make sure that link's in the show notes as well. So I guess to jump onto that, a question I'm interested in here is, you know, you have folks who are paid in some form or another, either, you know, through grants or from the foundation or from other supporting organizations, you have community contributions and you have these huge version bumps coming out. How do you decide... As a project, as a community, what work is making it into each release? Like, is that a practically planned thing, or is it like whoever gets there's a deadline, get it through the door, and it comes through the door? Like, how does that work?
0: There's different ways, but mostly like our goal from the foundation side is that the people that the foundation hires will work on things that the community want. So, if we see there's a lot of interest from the community, for instance, in the Godot four, there was like a rebuild of some of the areas of the engine, like because the community wanted better versions of it, we can dedicate those resources there. Mm-hmm. But some other companies have their own interests and sometimes those things don't align. So those features get left out. What we really want to get into the engine itself is what will benefit most of our users. That depends on the moment, right? Like sometimes we get up to a point where we don't hear about the feature anymore, not because people don't like it, but because it's already working and sure. there isn't any big issues but sometimes the local the current events influence also the community to request some other things recently with all the controversy around unity and other things like that like a lot of people jumped to godot and they are being very vocal about wanting better c-sharp support for instance so in this case like our Plan, of course, like c Sharp was on our roadmap, but since there's a new batch of people coming in and a lot more interest that also like, how can we make the experience of using c Sharp better with the engine itself? But there is a group of people at the production team, which actually decides what things get in and what doesn't, but it's not really like the final say. It's mostly like if the feature is in line with the goals of the project. And if it makes sense for a general purpose kind of thing, like it generally gets merged, but also if it aligns with the roadmap that the team have. Like if you want to add a feature, that's a very controversial thing is a lot of people want to have like a built-in 3D map editor. And it's a big feature that, you know, before merging something like that into the project, we need to make sure that we can also support it like long term. We need to make sure that. It's good enough for people to use and if you meet all the criteria and there's people interested in maintaining it and it makes sense for a general purpose engine, we merge it. But it really is on case by case, depending on HPR. There's too many things that come our way that might be good for one person, you know, for their workflow. And it's good to identify when those things can be a plugin or an extension for that person or studio and what can benefit everybody. But yeah, it really depends.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. So, so you mentioned the recent situation of Unity and the response, which we've alluded to a couple of times, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But before we get to that, I want to kind of talk about the Godot Foundation at like a higher level. So, you know, lots of open source projects go through the challenge of being, you know, like a, a little scrappy operation maintained in free time to having to mature and find funding. What was that journey like for Godot? Like what was the inception of the Godot Foundation?
0: So before they got a foundation, the project was operating through the software Freedom Conservancy, which is an organization, a non-profit organization from the U.S. whose goal is to do just that, right? Being the legal entity for these open source projects. Because when you have an open source project at the beginning that nobody like knows about, like you don't have a lot of problems in terms of like getting donations, getting grants, getting those things. That doesn't happen. But when it does happen you suddenly need like a bank account where to receive that money like a proper document of like ownership like who's going to be owning the project or things like that so all that was being done by the software free and conservancy but once the project got bigger and bigger and bigger we got even too big for them to manage and it was really nice for us to have a little bit more independence in terms of what we can do with you know the project itself and You know, there was this need of also doing other things that requires a little bit more of independence. Like for instance, if we wanted to do an asset store, which is something that people really want, like it didn't fit the model that the software free conservancy had in mind. So we ended up going with our own organization. It's been quite challenging because not everybody wants to, you know, like a bank doesn't care about your open source project. So why will they want to open a bank account for your foundation that actually has, you know, like two days since it's been opened. So it was a lot of paperwork to go through and all that, but also we wanted to make sure that everything was done properly so that we can continue with the operations and the needs of the project. But the goal is only to support this, like we are now like uh, making a few changes internally also for how we operate in terms of like we're considering making more people be part of the process of like taking decisions for the foundation and things like that but yeah the goal is just to make the god engine better so everything we do is to structure that getting the donations from the companies or individuals and hiring people to work on the engine on the features that people want and Other than that, the foundation doesn't aim to do much more than this. I know that other foundations in open source groups have also, you know, like education programs and many other things. But ours is very small. (laughs) It's very tiny. We are less than 10 people like working full time or part time. And our goal is just to make the, the engine better. So that's... I don't know if I went a little bit more on No, no, that's, but that's yeah.
1: absolutely perfect. In fact, you you kind of led into my next question, which was going to be, you know, with that slice of things that you take care of, the funding, possible asset store, hiring people, et cetera, you know, you mentioned some things that are explicitly things you don't touch. Like, are there other responsibilities or tasks that you look to other organizations in the ecosystem to support? Like, what kind of things do you say, oh, we don't do that, but there's this great company we work with over here who look after that?
0: At the moment, like, We've been looking a lot at other organizations to get inspiration from how they are doing things because sure. it's really difficult to find what's you know like a good way of operating in this space. Like everybody like knows how the private sector works. It's kind of sure. easy when you have a product to sell and you know investors or things like that they the path is really obvious. But here we look after other organizations that we admire, like for instance Blender, how they do things and try to get, for instance, our funding like uh, platform. Like it was basically like a, a fork of what they had. Like, you know, if you look at the designs, it's very, very similar. And you yeah. know. But, and also we internally use as much open source as possible. Like our stack in general, everything that we use to work on a daily basis is open source. We of course try to give back to to those projects as well, but yeah, it's a bit tricky because each organization has their own history and their own goals, right? Yeah. And even if we do like to go through like what Blender does in terms of like all this, right, like uh, the funding and and how they they communicate and all that, it's a different organization with a different set of users, with a different goal, and sometimes we need to improvise
1: a little. So you mentioned Blender, and so this is a question I've been wondering about that might be far too in the weeds, but I'm gonna go for it. So you mentioned, you know, paperwork and issues in starting up, which I imagine, you know, really varies country by country. Both Godot Foundation and Blender are registered here in the Netherlands. Is there like something in particular about the Netherlands sticking which is good for open source foundations, or is that a coincidence?
0: It was honestly a coincidence. The board member who was able to do all these things was, is Dutch and was living in the Netherlands and offered to do this kind of work. But I also believe it's easier to do some sort of thing, especially if you have an online organization, like I know from experience right now, I'm living in Spain and in Spain, there's a lot of things that for a foundation like this, it would be really hard to do when you have an online sort of organization. Sure. the paperwork and things like that. You have to go to a, very of, a lot of offices all the time, and there's not a lot of things you can do online. So I think it was a little bit of, of those, but there isn't any particular reason what I can tell you like it is better or not. But yeah.
1: No, thank you for scratching that itch for me. That's been really bothering me.
0: There's also the Krita guys who are also based oh, really? in, in the Netherlands. That's
1: yes. fascinating. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> I've got lots of new podcast guests to chase. <laughs> so going back to Unity. So, you know, you mentioned all the feedback that you'd received and lots of comments. And one of the things that like immediately struck me about the core Godot team and your response was like, how level headed you all being, how like the level of humility, the level of like focus on your existing vision and not bowing to the temptation to like drop everything, to jump on this moment. And so I have like a, a load of questions about that, which is like, firstly, how does that culture made like how do you create a team that's like able to say we're getting like Mm -hmm. the most press (laughs) we will probably get for a long time but we're going to stay we know what we're doing and we're staying focused on that like how did that happen
0: well i think it was like internally something that was in the making for a long time like Mm -hmm. it's not the first time that a big company screws up and we get a lot of attention so we kind of been here before it wasn't as big as this one but yeah and there's also a lot of people you know like most of us came from making our own games or making games in companies and we know people who work in all the other companies like we have colleagues ex-colleagues and friends right like it's kind of like the game dev community is not as big as one might think even if it's like a huge industry yeah so whenever you see something that's going wrong for game developers like the first thing that we think is like this sucks and then we think like, okay, it might be an opportunity for us, but like the general feeling is like it's not a good thing to happen in the industry. Same with like the layoffs that are happening on AAA companies right now and, and all this. So our goal is not to replace what was there. Our goal was always to make Godot better. And it's a bit unfortunate sometimes that people jump to other things because they are being like kicked False. off of yeah. what they were using, right? I think like with our work in open source and all this, like we understand also the challenges of building all this and we know it's difficult and we know that there's a lot of talented people working on those companies that will never want to live through all this, but are in that situation. So it's a bit tricky because yeah, the moment we want to, let's say promote it, or if let's say like if you do a marketing campaign during that time, which it was kind of a, by coincidence, we launched our funding platform at the same time. So it was really good in terms of getting yeah. those donations, but you're also setting the expectations for people that this will be the replacement of Unity and then they will want that to change and that will compromise on the vision of what Corot is and what wants to be. I think it's a bit complicated and there isn't a real incentive for us to get all those users, right, like. The more the merrier, the more people that contribute, it's going to be better for everybody, but we're not going to be making more money. Like we're not selling licenses. So there isn't a, an intrinsic value in us getting people to use Godot other than having more people like reporting bugs or fixing bugs or, you know, using it. So yeah, I think the culture in general inside is this, right? Like we're making our own thing and we want to make this the best it can be. and We don't need to cannibalize any other project for it. We want to make Godot what's best for Godot itself. We don't want to make a better unity or anything like that. Something that came from before, like, I remember when I was younger, I was more into this kind of wars, right? Like, which console war, like, uh, or things like that. It's very easy. In some
1: form or another, right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. But then, you know, I think when you grow older and you understand that everybody is trying to do their best, like, where they are working, like, Honestly, like for us, it was really like sad to see the state of it. And it wasn't like something that made us happy. Like, yeah, we're going to get, because we also understand that we're going to get now a lot of, you know, like the stakes are higher now and for a small team, it's sometimes difficult to be there in that situation.
1: That leads me into, I guess, an observation that I thought was really interesting, which was, you know, ties back to, I guess, the lack of big open source usage in game development, which was, you know, I think my perception was that a lot of the Unity users who are coming to Godot and fielding requests or giving feedback didn't necessarily understand what their relationship with the organization could be. That they weren't just a consumer who was like, here's my money, give me my product, and that they were in fact like able to engage and, you know, to put things forward in a different way, and to, you know, that it's, you know, there's not one person making the decisions that trickle down. How did you i guess to what extent do you think that is true and then secondly like if it is true like to what, how have you approached educating those people who have a very different relationship with an org about how they can greater get involved with good day
0: it's honestly really really hard because yeah like we get people now sending us messages as if they were not able to have a voice and that's something that you know it's tricky to actually educate them and tell them, you know, you can participate of the discussions, like most of the meetings we do about these particular things are open for everybody to join. And it is difficult. Like there's certainly like also like a lot of high profile people that jump in and they have a very big audience. That's also a bit tricky sometimes in terms of them having one issue with the engine and not really voicing it in a very positive or constructive right. way. So a lot of people getting that idea and running with it instead of, you know, they could have come to sure. any of our open platforms like the chat or anywhere to just talk with any of us. And sometimes it's not that the engine cannot do something or that it does it wrong. It's that they are not used to the ways of doing it right. the god way. And once they understand, everything's fine. But, you know, once they already complained publicly and everybody, like, went through all that two weeks of tweeting, (laughs) things are already kind of
1: shaky. C-sharp performance comes to mind here, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's also, I think, like, a change that needs to happen, like, over time. I don't think that it's going to be, like, something that we can speed up too much, but I'm trying to mitigate those sort of issues. Like at the moment, I'm trying to get with some other team members like a discourse forum that we cool. can use to do more development there. Because a lot of the things we used to do and we do now are on a chat that's, you know, it's kind of like similar to Slack or Discord. It's a rocket chat. And uh, many of those conversations get kind of lost in, uh, you know, in, if you're not active there, you might have lost them. But having them on a public forum will help maybe get more people involved in the process. But it requires also time for us to adapt because for a long time there wasn't too many people involved, right? And the things that worked before might not work now. Before it was very easy to get the people involved to say you know like yeah hey, let's improve the documentation let's jump in and you know update this update that but the moment we cannot see what everyone is doing with it <laughs> so we need to find better ways of capturing that interest and redirecting it to the proper place but that's something that we need to try and see what works
1: yeah i think the synchronous to asynchronous like modal shift is important as you start to especially time zone expand but yeah absolutely
0: yeah there's a lot of things happening on github which is very open but sometimes you will find there's a pr from someone and then nothing no conversation suddenly someone approves it and then It gets merged, and it's kind of if you don't really know who yeah. these people were, you don't know that maybe there was that day a meeting for reviewing like all the PRs for GD script and to discuss like which one, and then you know that gets lost. So having a better way for people to accessing those sort of conversations, I think it will improve also the culture of actually yeah. how you can get involved. So
1: great, yeah. I mean, top tip for anyone looking here is adjusting to remote work as well. I think that's like, that's excellent. <laughs> So, you know, we've spoken about the funding. You've launched a new funding platform, but also, you know, again, because the Unity issue, you know, there's been some unprecedented things. Like, the first day I saw one of the game studios say, like, hey, we're putting the money we put towards Unity license towards donating to these projects we use. That was, like... Again, going back to comparison to web dev, that's like not a thing that happens in web dev open source funding. That was that was awesome. So I'm really interested, like, what does the heightened support and particularly the funding mean for Godot as a project? You know, we've spoken about scaling contribution, that kind of thing, but like does it has it changed your capabilities and what you can build out and how much you can build out, for example?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's helping like we were a little bit in the red before. Like we were spending more money than we were getting, but we had some sort of like reserves for getting along. But we were kind of running out of funds and, you know, it really sucks when you have to start like thinking in which ways you can raise funds. And, you know, there, there isn't too many options, but thanks to this, we were able to secure that. Like we're not in the red anymore. And we might be able to onboard maybe two or three more people that will, you know, at the moment it's not sure like who are the ones that are gonna be hired. So I don't want to go too much into specifics. Yeah, we want to also improve like the infrastructure sort of work that we have because a lot of things when they rely on the volunteers are you know running well. We had a lot of issues for instance on the websites, not the main one, but all of them like the QA platform, like the documentation, like all those kind of websites that we kind of have that we need to operate our own internal platforms like the chat and all that, they were having a lot of issues. And they were going down constantly. And you know we were under attacks and a lot of things. So improving those things, I think it will make it easier. And up until now, there wasn't a lot of need of doing those sort of hires. Most of the people that got hired before to work on the engine was to work on code specifically to improve yeah. the engine but now we need a little bit more of that infrastructure way, like work, not only on websites, but also internally in terms of like, you know, we hired uh, Yuri recently to work on the production work who also sped up the releases that we do. Cool. And a lot of those things that are making like the machine run smoothly without adding more people that codes, because uh, I think we like we have a lot of them, but it's also hard sometimes to even to go through all the pull requests and all that. So yeah, I think it will help in those areas. But it's a bit uh, complicated to find people, because up until now, we hired mostly, not mostly, but all of them like from the community. Yeah, The community is very technical. In open source, there isn't a lot of designers, sure. uh, or UX designers, or communicators, or things like that. It's, it's a bit harder to get those. So we need to start looking out it's a bit challenging like yeah. i've been looking for community manager and things like that because like we really need one and it's getting harder right like you need to start reaching out out and you also want to make sure that they understand the philosophy behind open source and yeah. you know what it means to be in a project like this there's a lot of challenges but thankfully like the the funding was like the first thing that will help us alleviate a lot of the workload we have in all these areas, so we can focus on making the rest easier.
1: (laughs) Perfect. So as we kind of round up close to time here, there's a couple more questions I want to squeeze in. So first of all, what are your top tips for people looking to get started contributing to Godot itself?
0: I think joining the platforms and just being a fly on the wall, it's very good. That's at least how I started. Like I really didn't like the website. I went in and I was like, (laughs) Who's doing that what, who's working that? I noticed that there wasn't a lot of activity yeah. and then when you start knowing the people like if you attend to any of our events like the Goralcon or like a local meeting or in any gaming conference we usually hang out there like just come and chat and you know just sharing what you do is also a good way of helping like if you are doing documentation that also like not only like helps other people but gets you more familiar with those areas. Yeah. And then you might also see in which ways you can help. But yeah, I think like just joining and being around the development area and seeing in which things you think you might mm. like to work on and try them, I think it's really good. There's a lot of issues that are marked as like beginner friendly or like cool. good first issues that you can check on GitHub if you want to contribute via code. But also if you want to help in other areas, as I said before, like there's, you know, every time we publish an article on the blog post, we first make a PR, everything, all this is happening on GitHub. So we get people sometimes helping us with our poor English, like <laughs> the people who are <laughs> writing the, the articles are not natives most of the time. So we need someone that's actually like goes in and fix those. And, you know, those are things that you can make and, and everything is public for you to get
1: feedback or help. So, yeah. Fantastic. And, you know, at the beginning you mentioned, you know, yourself coming in via being a content creator. And, you know, there's, I think with the, the Unity issue, there's been a bunch of new content creators on the scene. Are there any kind of content creators who are active now or have been in the past who you are particularly fond of or you'd recommend as a great starting place for people wanting to learn about Godot?
0: For learning about Godot, I think... Like the best tutorials I've seen were by GD Quest. I think like they have a lot of material. So I would start by that. But it depends a lot on which kind of things you want to make. I think that if you want to like to make something, for instance, that's a bit more advanced, you might want to find somewhere else, like for something in particular. But what I like of the new people that came, like the new content creators, like you can see they have a lot of experience and usually like... The people we have are very technical, but not so artistically gifted. Right. So we get new like people like uh, Passive Star on like, Twitter has been sharing so many cool like uh, demos and things like that. And then we have a, a lot of like content creators that are doing this, trying to make a game in in Gorot. So you can see their experiences, and they share what they made. There were like a couple big jams recently, and a lot of people were posting in their YouTube channels. They were maybe like uh, Unity or Game Maker or like other content creators, and they made their own games in Garot. They ported the ones that they have. There's this big one now called uh, Road to Vostok, who's making uh, a game, a first person shooter that was made in Unity and now is doing very nice blogs about how the transition is going. So, I'm really happy that this the scene is not yeah. where it used to be before. And depending on what you want, like, you will find something, but yeah.
1: Yeah, those are great shouts. Passive Star also has been doing the amazing Blender, like, gifts of their Node stuff, right? I think that they've been using a lot of, yeah, of stuff. Yeah, he's,
0: he's going through all the projects and doing the speed run from <laughs> zero to Influencer. Yeah. Any percent, like, they're going super fast, like... <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great shout out. Well, Emilio, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, this has been awesome. If people want to follow your work in particular, you know, keep tabs on what you're up to, where's the best place for them to go?
0: Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, in Twitter is me CPL and and Mastodon as well. Like I'm quite active in the game dev uh, Mastodon instance. In generally, like if you follow the Godot blog, you will find where I'm working on most of the time. So yeah, like the usual places.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Same.